0: Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It is my great honor to introduce a person who truly is having a major influence in the world. Uh, Imam Abdullah Antebli is a person who is globally acknowledged as a scholar and leader of cross-religious and cross-cultural dialogue in American higher education. He's a professor at Duke University. He's built organizations and initiatives. He's a fellow on Jewish-Muslim relations at the Shalom Hartman Institute in Israel. He is also a person, and with this, I really want to start with him, who just last week was named to the top 100 people positively influencing Jewish life in the year 2022 by the Algemeiner Journal which to me is fascinating on two levels. One is that a famous Yiddish paper that is published in English is recognizing an imam as one of the top 100 people. And also because if you look at the list online, uh, just fortunately, alphabetically, he's the number one on the list. So when I opened up the list and I said, wow, there's our guest for this week. Imam, thank you so much for joining us. And tell me why, why you think they feel that you've had this level of influence. (laughs) Well, good
1: afternoon. Salaamu Alaikum, Shalom, Uh, Rabbi Matanki. I am so delighted and and really feel privileged to be part of your podcast. And I hope I will be part of your shul and community in person soon in warmer days in Chicago. (laughs) There are two really honest answers, and both of them are true but contradictory to that question. So the positive answer is why I made it up to the first, uh, the top 100 person, is because I dedicated my entire life to recover from my own anti-Semitism. I always consider and label myself as a recovering anti-Semite. I grew up in a very, very anti-Semitic environment, and for a number of years, regretfully, despicably, shamefully, I ask forgiveness for every single day. I try to take. Uh, that poison out of my system uh, as much as possible. And it was uh, it, it sort of made me for a number of years that Judaism as religion and Jews as people are irredeemably evil and they are behind all the problems in the world. And uh, not only Baruch Hashem, Baruch Allah, I, re- I tried to recover, I took the nearest exit and have been driving, driving in the opposite direction for many years now, but I took my recovery into an ethical moral journey to make sure uh, others in my community um, who are victims of antisemitism will be recovering as well, or they will not be the victim of antisemitism like I do. So one answer is that personal recovery journey unfolded through God's grace in so many good works, so many partnerships, so many uh, initiatives and educational programs that Alga minor very kindly recognize that work, which is difficult work. Um, You do it at the the cost of so many things, including your own credibility in your own community. Um, So this is one answer. I think on behalf of the so many noble people like Yossi Klein, Halevi, all participants to my programs uh, in combating anti-Semitism, this is good recognition of this difficult work, noble work that we are doing. But I think the little bit cynical uh, and maybe negative answer is I think improving Jewish-Muslim relations, having honest conversations about issues that divides us and polarizes us, are the bar is so low that, <laughs> that uh, even uh, someone like Abdullah with very modest uh, contributions can make it to the top 100 less. And depending on the day or the situation, these
0: two can be true at the same time. So I don't believe the second, but I do appreciate the first, and I really want to look into that and try to understand it a little bit more. The what was the cause when you were growing up? The way you, when you look back, for that anti-Semitism, was mm-hmm. it Israel? Was it Judaism? Was it something else? It's much deeper. Um... I think
1: many of us understandably, because hate is uh, ugly, evil, immoral, terrible, we fail to see and recognize its seductive power. It helps people. It uh, it connects you to uh, parts of your system that you are not able to connect otherwise. It gives you very convincing, comforting answers. Um, I don't want to say many people do not appreciate hate. There is nothing to be appreciated about hate. But hate is not useless. Hate and racism of any kind, it turns these complicated issues of individual problems or collective problems, societal problems, economic and political problems, and it gives you a very convincing black and white reductionist uh, answers. So my journey is, um, like many people in the Muslim majority world, (coughs) you wake up and open your eyes to the world, and you see that anything Islamic, anything Muslim is failing. Muslim societies are perpetually losing. Our flags never on the top. We are always representing the bottom 10% of every measure of development, wars, conflicts, deeply broken societies, tyrannies, etc. So every Muslim, I think, uh, especially if you grew up in the Middle East, if you are Turkish, you feel you are an extension of a great civilization, Ottoman Empire. You wake up your uh, eyes every morning to a life of misery and you ask why, what went wrong? After many years of very successful golden ages of Islam and Muslim civilizations, why are we failing? And I was exposed early on, early teenage years uh, that uh, why are we failing or why are we constantly humiliated in a, in a state of misery and perpetual losing is because of this evil cancerous religion and its minority people who, who infiltrate into the brain tissues of the society behind the uh, behind the media banks and all powers, centers of power around the world and they're enemy of Islam and they, they are there to humiliate us. I have to emphasize though, my antisemitism, there is a religious Islamic Muslim, scripturally based antisemitism, but mine was very secular. My parents were not religious at all. My environment was very, very French style. They even were hostile to religion. They were a religious people, but they were very nationalistic. They were chauvinistically nationalistic. And in that Turkish nationalism, uh, like any form of extreme nationalism, uh, Anti-Semitism had much easier time to spread. Uh, the first book I remember uh, I read about Jews and Judaism was the children's version of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion at the age of 12 and 13. Children's version, which is with updated multimedia and pictures from Israeli-Palestinian conflict uh, in 1980s uh, in Turkey. Second book was notorious, despicable American anti-Semite Henry Ford infamous and toxic international Jew, which gives a very modern spin to the protocols. And then of course, before the age of 15, I read Mein Kampf three, four times. And, and I, I was convinced that uh, Hitler was right. He saw something in these people and I hope somebody will finish the job. Uh, and when I say these, uh, I feel sort of shaken even. I, my ethical moral world is pain by saying this, but that was my state. What saved me counterintuitively to many people is becoming religious, becoming Muslim, taking my religion a lot more seriously, being exposed to Islam, learning Arabic and Persian, and studying Islam in its own mainstream theology. It, it's it's significantly slowed me down and eventually enabled and inspired me to take the nearest exit and drive in the opposite direction. But answering your question a little bit directly, yes, of course, significant part of exasperating, um, exaggerating catalyst was Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Everything was seen through the lenses of Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the way in which I was exposed to Palestinian suffering, occupation, human rights violations that Palestinians are going through, but in such a distorted, twisted, and and really deceptive, deceptive ways.
0: It's interesting because I've had the opportunity to meet uh, sheikhs who are also very much involved in trying to bring about peace Mm -hmm. between Jews and Muslims, Uh, Sheikh Hamer, Sheikh uh, Paludji from Farkasim, I don't know if you're familiar with with them, Um, Palestinians who are trying to do this, and very often I hear that they, um, they also refer to the religion as having been the source of trying to find peace. And then we hear the opposite, that, uh, the, that there are segments of the Muslim population of the world who use religion as the sword versus using it as the source of peace. Where does it, how do you find that division within Islam to such an extent? right.
1: Um, I think significant part of the problem between Jewish and Muslim communities is we don't consume a similar information. We don't have a joint media. Um, what appears on Jewish mirror and what appears on Muslim Muslim mirror or screen on any given same exact event is almost contradictorily different. Uh, so what you hear and eventually because of that, uh consequently um your source of information make you feel that as if it's the quran uh, it's the religion it's the theology that's giving rise to muslim anti-semitism which is absolutely not true at all not that not that people are people are not irrational but based on what they hear and what they see but muslim anti-semitism even now thankfully baruch hashem It is never as bad or as religiously rooted biblically or scripturally rooted as Christian anti-Semitism. Christian anti-Semitism therefore has been a lot more difficult, why? Because the anti-Semitic scriptural and traditional elements in Christianity, it moved to the heart of Christianity. It became the symbol of Christianity. If you go to Holocaust Museum in DC or Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, when they take you to historical journey of how anti-Semitism was perceived and created throughout the history, they start with Jesus on the cross. I don't wanna be misunderstood. I am not saying all Christians are anti-Semite or entire Christian theology or Bible is anti-Semitic, but if you can not connect between Jesus on the cross and the Holocaust, that means you are missing the whole point. The anti-Semitic elements that Jesus' crucifixion and and the alleged role of the Jews in that event has over the centuries uh, moved to the heart and soul of Christianity and punt antisemitism for a very long time. So we do have uh, scriptures in the Quran and in the sayings of prophet Muhammad antisemitic, but thankfully for all sorts of coincidental reasons, ethical moral reasons, they never moved to the heart of Islam. They never moved to the center of Islam until 1948. Pre-1948, Muslim anti-Semitism is always very episodic, always um, based on an individual ruler or a king or a sultan, and therefore, if you compare the Jewish experience under Muslim rule, even though it wasn't egalitarian and equal, but if you compare it with the Jewish experience until Holocaust in Europe, it's not even comparable. So Muslims were not innately inherently more peaceful people or Christians of Europe were not innately inherently more violent people. It was Islam's ability to keep religious roots of Muslim antisemitism at the margins, at the periphery. But after after, uh, 1948, of course, uh, when you are in conflict, you go back and rewrite your history as a rabbi, as an Imam, how many times you appear before two bitterly divorcing couples, they built a life, they raise children for 20 years, 30 years, and when they are bitterly fighting, they remember differently, they rewrite their history, and therefore regretfully, let, allow me to give one example from what I'm saying. Uh, the, the Muslim antisemitism that has been historically speaking in the margins, religious Muslim antisemitism, is moving to the center. One of the most despicable, reprehensible, disgusting version of Religious Muslim Islamic anti-Semitism is the Hamas Charter, this evil terrorist organization's charter, which proudly I am on their uh, hit list. Now, you know, if you are measured by who who hates you, I am glad at least I am scoring that these evil, despicable people doing despicable things in the name of Islam hates me. But if you take the Hamas Charter, it's a prime example or a sample of a what would uh, um, islamic religious muslim anti-semitic literature would look like if you would have taken hamas charter to a muslim in 1920s you don't have to go too far when they see the way they are using those quranic verses they are using those hadiths they are making the interpretive attempt most muslims would have laughed at them it wouldn't have carried any weight it would have no currency but it carries now because of uh, what happened uh, since 1948 and the whole conflict and the shattering of the Palestinian uh, n- Palestinian society
0: but is the abraham accords redirecting changing that piece of the anti-semitic source that's a good the uh, narrative way
1: yes i am i am i just came back from saudi arabia Uh, which has not even joined the Abraham Accord, but of course, without Saudi support and blessing, none of this could have happened. And I had a chance since the Abraham Accord, I was one of the initial skeptics of this Abraham Accord from the very beginning, but I made public apologies to people, uh, the main architects behind the Abraham Accord, because I was one of those thinking this is nothing but what Israel has signed with Egypt, Jordan, or Turkey before its geopolitical, it's between governance it will never filter down to the society to uh, people to people diplomacy and engagement i am i am so glad i am proven wrong abraham accord though modest but uh, it's unfolding in the right direction for a very long time that uh, that making this muslim uh, anti-semitism or at least it's almost impossible not to see its naked ugliness uh, by these countries now as a result of this rapprochement and diplomatic relationship between Israel. I am, I am really hopeful. I, have, I would have never imagined uh, uh, that I will hear and see in these Moroccan societies, Moroccan imams, Saudi imams, Emirati imams, seeing the damage that Muslim antisemitism is doing to Islam primarily before it becomes a problem to Jews and others. That it is it is because like in every religion, in every ethical moral philosophy at the heart, hate it, it primarily starts poisoning the bearer. It's immediate uh, danger and destruction is to the, its own societies. If any collective, if any society allows any form of hate go unchallenged for a very long time, that amount of hate erodes them from within. So many people now uh, in those societies who uh, sign Abraham Accord is seeing this, it's immorality, it's uh, ugliness, and it's damage and destruction to Muslim thinking, Islamic imagination. It's a desecration of our own sacred tradition and fighting against which I would have never imagined it will happen in my lifetime. So I'm grateful.
0: So you see now improvements because of Abraham yes. Accords.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And what would be, you know, if you were able to have a wish for the next step, what would be that wish to bring it one step further in the process? I think um,
1: American Jews and American Muslims, we have, a, we have an incredible moral imperative we have an unescapable moral responsibility to model and exemplify what would healthier, more nuanced, honest Jewish-Muslim relations and Jewish-Muslim conversations would look like. Because in many parts of the world, especially in the Middle East, Jews and Muslims, they are either in active war, like in Israel-Palestine, or like France and England, there is a amount of hostility and conflict and tension. I stay. Hello? Did I lose you? Rabbi Matanki, I think you are frozen.
0: Imam, hey, you're here yes. again. Okay, I lost you for a moment. Hopefully this will continue um, and just to continue where we had left off, and hopefully right. we'll be able to work this well. Um, well. After three years of Zooming, you would think we figured it out. But... Wish.
1: Yes, I was saying, um, In the United States, there are possibilities and opportunities for American Jews and American Muslims, despite all the issues and the problems that we have. We are in a better position than the Jews and the Muslims of the Middle East, Jews and the Muslims of Europe to model and exemplify what would an honest, healthy, sophisticated uh, partnership and relationships between Jews and Muslims are possible. We have to model and exemplify to these abraham accord countries and others i think my biggest wish i cannot change much what's going on around the world but here in the united states as a proud member of american muslim communities as a proud member of american islam both my pride is in both american and being muslim as someone who loves my religion i think my biggest wish and work is in north america we have to work really hard and you have to work really hard in Chicago to find who your Muslim neighbors are, who are the people who are willing to have an honest and transparent conversation with you um, and model exemplify because a lot of disbelief uh, as a result of this hundred years of conflict and push people to level of despair. We have to show them. Uh, We have to show and destroy their despair and hopelessness not through ideas, not through uh, uh, preaching, but through the realities on the ground that we are not destined to be enemies. We are not destined to hate each other. There are ethical, moral values that we share, despite our maybe contradictory political loyalties, political interpretations of Israeli-Palestinian conflict, we can still sit down and have an honest
0: conversation. So uh, from that perspective, can I, Um, as a proud Zionist, on the outside of my synagogue, there's Israeli flag banners which say, we stand with Israel. How would I enter into a conversation with a Muslim brother saying, we have to, I'm not going to give up on my Zionist dream. Right. We have to figure out a way to make this work. How does it happen?
1: If you would have asked me this question, maybe 10 years ago, it was more difficult to answer because it was all ideas and conceptual aspirations but look at my work in mli i established a partnership and leadership program in israel at a zionist american institution taught by zionist organization and it's not a dialogue program it's not like toothless fluffy mushy kumbaya singing interfaith Jews uh, have uh, halakha, we have Sharia, kosher chicken, halal chicken. It's not one of those uh, interfaithy, lovey-dovey, let's hold hands and get along. More than 150 North American Muslim uh, individuals, many of them are rising leaders in their community. They went to Israel to learn about Jews, Judaism, Zionism, and Israel in a one-way learning program. Try to see the world through, Uh, through Jewish eyes and Zionism with no obligation to agree and even like what they hear. But look, there is a reality on the ground which I hope will humble anybody's doubt or cynicism. Can we turn this into a reciprocal process? Is there a way in which, without losing any ounce of your pride from your Zionism, without losing any element of your admirable solidarity to this Jewish Zionist dream, this Jewish homecoming story, which I grew to learn and appreciate and love at the same time. Is there a way in which enough number of ethical, moral, Zionist, God-loving, God-fearing, merciful Jews like yourself can make a similar reciprocal attempt to see the
0: world through a Muslim eyes? So where would we go? You went to Israel, but I'm not, if I went to Ramallah, it would be much more complicated. Well,
1: Abraham Accord presents an incredible opportunity. Well, first of all, Chicago has about six seven 700000 Muslims. I don't know where your shul is exactly,
0: this divan area. We are, we are right there in that divan area.
1: So you don't even have to, you don't even have to, people, Muslims are in spitting distance. I mean, don't spit anyone, but what's uh, <laughs> the nicer version of that word? They are in arm distance. From you that uh, first I, I highly encourage you to start within your own neighborhood, reach out to your Muslim neighbors and I am happy to report uh, the reason I was in UAE, Saudi Arabia and, and in less than two weeks I will be in Morocco. Um, we are hoping and dreaming that one of the many good outcomes of uh, Abraham Accord uh, will be that Morocco, Bahrain, UAE and maybe inshallah in the future Allah, Saudi Arabia will be such Muslim majority home country for any Jewish individual who would like to make a similar journey into the world of Islam and Muslim cultures. They will be welcome in these Muslim institutions and provide sophisticated educations. But it's possible that you
0: can start some of it in Chicago. Well, we'll be in touch, hopefully, about trying to find ways to do that as well because we are one world and we are one community and one society and the real challenge which I guess we both of our communities have is a lack of understanding and appreciation of the other it's on a person to person piece Um, I cannot agree more
1: it wasn't easy this 150 plus people to participate in this program Muslim leadership initiative I hope audience will google and look at it they took in tremendous amount of risk and and they have faced tremendous amount of attack, but one of my most convincing recruitment line to these Muslim communities was You care about Palestine, you care about Palestinian people, you care about what's going on in the Middle East, you care about Israeli Palestinian conflict. How many Jews, you know. How many Shabbat dinners you have been part of how many Jewish homes, you have visited like if you care about this issue so much, would you not at least as to keep your intellectual honesty with no obligation to agree, you would diversify and try to understand the other side, whoever the other side is. And my ethical moral sort of uh, charge and 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 challenge to my Jewish brothers and sisters is the same. Uh, I, I admire your Zionism, your loyalty, your love to the Middle East, but because of that love, You don't try to understand the complexities of all 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 sides, and part of that love doesn't energize and inspires you to. You are trying to set up a shop in the heart of Islam, and would you not know something about this religion this people and recruit some friends, etc. To me it's unthinkable, but uh, unless you brought to people's attention, sometimes i've seen many Muslims, they care a lot, but they have never had that one honest conversation with a one honest, and loyal, proud Zionist Jew. That that challenge is there for my Jewish brothers and sisters as well.
0: No, I, I understand that. I actually appreciate, in addition, if people were to uh, to Google the Imam, you would notice that he has wonderful videos of conversations with Yossi Klein-Levy, who has been a guest on this, with Yehuda Kurtzer, with so many others in trying to open up this dialogue. And sometimes dialogue is frightening, because you learn things you may not want to hear, exactly. but when it's with people such as yourself, Imam, it is enlightening. And uh, believe it or not, our time is up. I want to thank you. I also want to thank uh, Stephanie Engelson for having made this possible. She was the the Shadchanit, the, the person who connected the two of us. Mm-hmm. If you look online, by the way, at www.hartman.org.il slash program slash Muslim dash leadership dash initiative. You'll see what the imam was talking about in that program. It's an important program. And I look forward to continuing conversations. And the invitation is to you when you come the next time to the divan area, to come to our synagogue and to have this conversation. I would
1: be honored to join you and doven with you and invite you to my community. When things get so cold and depressing in Chicago, you now have a brother in the warm South in North Carolina. Come and visit us. Allow me to end Thank with this. anybody who's listening to this. We have most of, despite all the problems between Jews and Muslims, we still have most things that we need to bring peace between the house of Ishmael and house of Isaac. What we are lacking is is courageous prophetic leadership among ourselves and the increasing level of apathy and despair and hopelessness. We have to produce this prophetic leadership and we have to fight against despair and hopelessness, which is the greatest sin in both Judaism and Islam and try our best to trigger the divine help as much as possible. Thank you for this
0: opportunity. Thank you. And on that note, I wish you a wonderful day and continued success in all of your endeavors. Thank you. And yours as well. Bye-bye.